Commissions are very scary things. Uh, so I wanted to write this over the summer. Um, and uh, I wanted, I wondered, uh, the brief was to write something connected to County Durham, this part of England. Um, and I'd never been here until Thursday, so <laughs> I wondered how I was going to do this. Um, but I know that coal mining is a very important part of the culture and history of this area. And uh, my mum's English. Um, uh, her, she was born and grew up um, in a little village just outside Chesterfield in North Derbyshire. Um, and her father was a coal miner. Um, so I've written a poem about, about him and about coal mining. It's mostly set in the 1940s and 50s. He was born at the turn of two centuries ago. He was born in 1898. Uh, my granny was much younger than him. She was born in 1921. And like so many coal miners of his age and his generation, he suffered from lung disease and... Uh, he had a very bad pit accident. Um, so even though he was so much older than her in years, he was so much older again in terms of his his uh, physical ability. Um, so she really took care of him and then was widowed very young. Um, the only thing you need to know, it's written in six short sections. And the final section uh, it, it is an address to a racing pigeon. He, he loved racing pigeons, um, and he never did it while he was married because my granny wouldn't let him keep aloft, uh, but he was still obsessed with them, and he was also um, brilliant at picking out winners in horse races, though he didn't actually bet. So, this is Collier. Though he never once placed a bet my grandfather sat in his chair every day and picked out winners. Larkspur, League of Nations, Isinglass, Never Say Die, in the 2.30 at Epsom or Newmarket. He'd follow their dips and peaks, ingesting the painfully difficult newsprint on off-work afternoons. Or he'd rely on the tug at his sleeve of instinct, his grandmother's Romany nouse with horses, his blacksmith father's apprising sense bred into his muscles and veins. And so his damaged house filled up with winnings, tickets to a race, pairs of boots to choose from, a tea cosy from a shop, a pigeon coat out the back. And after each spectacular nose across the finish line, outsider made him rich, which happened twice. He'd sit and eat his wedding supper over again in his imagined life. Ham on the bone, salmon, roast beef, egg and cress, a cake. No matter the shift, the only food he'd take with him down the pit was bread and jam, two slices wrapped up in greaseproof paper and a bottle of gone-cold tea. He'd perch in a cranny to eat it halfway through his eight-hour stint at the coalface, black as a bat by the whites and reds of his eyes and his teeth gapped ivory. Each mine an auditorium, under the fallen sun of his headlamp, 
like the ghost of the boy he was at the sorting station sorting out nuts from brights. He'd array the sounds the tunnels carried, the squeal of the wheel, an invisible neighbour's cough, discarding each in turn until in his blue-scarred palm he held up gold. Miners, saviours in cages, singing their lack, half a mile off, back by the fluted shaft, singing no black damp, no gas, until he'd sing himself. He knew eight and twenty ways to raise the roof, some safe, most not. What possessed my granny? Slim, smart, solvent, raising the roof every Friday night after work at the Palais de Dance in Nottingham, showing the band what for with spies and soldiers to marry him. Some runaway freight car undid her, shunting her north. Already his breath was a wounded animal pacing its ever-decreasing circle underneath his ribcage. He couldn't afford linoleum. The village had five shops. He was born in the reign of Victoria. They'd finally buried the dead of Ypres before my granny came caterwauling in. Once, as a child, visiting her spinster aunt's friend in the countryside who kept house for her younger brother, she was privy to this. A walking shadow the size and shape of a man, stole across the room towards the kitchen, not touching anything. The kettles whistle, splashing, singing. Then the shut door opened abruptly and out stepped a white vest and a clean face and the moon's penumbra vanished into brightness. Bright as a white bell in Handley Wood, bright as the heads of poor man's pepper shaking their throwaway lace all <coughs> over the lanes between New Wit and Eckington, was the evening he proposed, and the proud heart fleet upon the enclosing hills and the honeycomb oozing honey. And late the next day, he stepped into a cage and fell the length of a tar pitch mile, not looking, yes, to where pit ponies stamped in their stalls, not listening, yes, and was out along a byline, dreaming his Skegness honeymoon into place, when a heaped tub of altogether coal, yes, you, Tom Goodwin, yes, began snarling his name. You might measure the force of its freak uncoupling by what was crushed. It took an hour to manage the mess of lungs and bones and blood to the surface. He sat out in blankets and looked at the sea for his month at the miner's rest. A month at a miner's rest, all right, but no compensation. Every time she paid a coal bill or dressed my mother in a cousin's pinafore, my granny would preen and peck at the elderly man grown elderly early, hunched across from her in his armchair. He'd turn himself into a tree and wouldn't answer. 
and the silence of glasshouse lane bird with thistle down like a blanket sewn by swallows just for them would settle over the room and he'd light up a woodbine and smile until she smiled too and then the damp blotched ceiling would open and in their last companionable hours together they'd play host to strange familiar visitors soft landing expertly in amongst the furniture eric coates calling all workers ralph elman and his bohemian players ron and ethel taking forever to get nowhere in take it from here Because the distances you travel are unimaginable to the man who flicks open each wing in a fan card flourish, checking for balance and corkiness before shunting you onto the train for your journey south and over the freezing sea towards liberation at Rheims or Poitiers. And because your tiny, friable arrangement of magnets and air pockets through which the planet articulates its cleverness might be crushed by a falcon in an instant, but isn't. And because your most exhilarating trajectory is not just from darkness to light, as his is, but from darkness to the upper stories of the air itself coaxing you down off the toss from Bordeaux or Nantes to the landing board, getting your leg ring clocked, is to stand with a capful of coins in the miner's arms, a balloon adventurer, or like a man who has tasted the rind of the moon without ever leaving home.